You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi folks, and welcome to episode 9 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me tonight, we have three lovely panellists from, well, I was going to say all over the world, but from well-spread nonetheless. We have uh, Kenny Lee back with us from uh, New Jersey, is it? Yes, it is, and good evening to everyone. It's been a while since we've heard your, your lovely accent. Well, thank you very much. It has been, and uh, hopefully I won't be so rare to find uh, in the future. I've been kind of tied up with work stuff lately. Ooh, I hate when work gets in the way of fun. Oh, it's not the worst. <laughs> it does that a lot, though. Um, joining me from my native home country, we have uh, Stefan Lesage back with us again. I was thinking he would say uh, something about my funny accent, too. So. No, yours is a lovely accent. It reminds me of yeah. home. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that. Well, welcome to every, uh, hi to everyone. I'm uh, glad to be here again. It's been a while. I've, I've really been enjoying listening to your podcast, actually, because I don't get to hear much of my native tongue. I ah. hear people nerding out. Yeah, fact, it's fun. Anyway, so that's the Tech Forty Five podcast for those listeners here who speak Flemish. Because those of you who don't, it may be inter- sort of an interesting experience to hear a whole bunch of words you don't understand followed by Windows, and a whole bunch of words you don't understand followed by Linux. Or <laughs> yeah, it's funny. If you don't understand Dutch, it's probably strange to listen to it. But if you do understand Dutch, it's worth listening to. I certainly agree. It was, it was, it's a, it's a fun show with a nice range of techie topics. Mm-hmm. And then also with us again is Antonio Rosario from Switch to Manual. Welcome back, Antonio. Hey, Bart. Thanks for having me today on your Pleasure. show. Pleasure Here as always. With everybody. With everybody. Now, before yeah. we get stuck into today's topic, I just want to ask our listeners if they would be so kind as to send us questions, because I would like to do a Q&A show in the near future. And uh, I tried this over email once before, and then I discovered that the email forward was really unreliable, and sometimes it went through, and sometimes it didn't. So I'm taking email out of the equation this time, and I put up a good old-fashioned web form. So if you go to lets-talk.ie and you look in the sidebar, you'll see that there's now an option called Submit Question. Or you can go to the short URL, lets-talk.ie forward slash photo queue, which will redirect you to that same page. So lets-talk.ie forward slash photo queue, or just click on the button in the sidebar. So uh, with that out of the way, let's get stuck into this month's topic. So this is part three of what will be our four-part series on sort of the life cycle of a photograph. So way back early on in the series, we did... How you prepare, you know, what do you do before you even leave the house? And then the second episode we did was, well, what do you do when you're out in the field? And now is what do you do when you get home, I guess? So, in other words, the whole post-processing sort of end of things. I thought we were going to be talking about drinking beer there for a minute, Bart. Well, you can do that if you like. <laughs> right, with a, couple of, with a couple of guys from Belgium here, we should be talking beer. <laughs> yeah, some Belgian beer, actually. Or whiskey with some people from Ireland, actually. Well, we can. I'll, I'll swap you some Irish whiskey. You give me some Belgian beer. We'll all be delighted. <laughs> it would be fine. Yeah. <laughs> we have good. We have some really good breweries here in Brooklyn, by the way. Apparently, it's becoming one of the um, primary places for breweries in the states now. Oh, very good. Mm-hmm. I, it's been a while since I've been stateside, but the last time I was, there were some good microbreweries along the East Coast. I certainly enjoyed the beer. They're all in Brooklyn. Cool. Now. Anyway, so I sort of see this as a, a, a sort of a two-half thing, and some of us are going to use the same software for both halves, and some of us aren't. So there is the whole, okay, the photos are in the camera, I've got to put some somewhere, I've got to keep some somewhere, and I've got to organize them in some sort of way that I will ever have a chance of finding the photo I want in the future. And then there's the actual jiggling the pixels around and actually editing our photos. So in the ye olde days, you did one thing in your file system, and you did the other thing in some sort of photo editing app. But in this modern day and age, those two functions have blurred together a lot. So I, well, I use Aperture for both ends of this equation, and I'm guessing some of our team members are doing things a little differently, but we probably all use a photo editor slash manager in one, or am I wrong about that? No, you are right. Definitely. At least in my case. Yeah. Yes, you are. So I'm Aperture. Antonio, you're Lightroom. Lightroom with, uh, what did you say before? Lightroom with the... Uh, Aperture um, skills? Aperture skills, yeah. Because, yes, of course, as someone who teaches... Yes. You need yes. your fingers in every pie. Yes. And, Stefan, you're saying your Aperture, in previous yes. your Aperture, but you're getting itchy. 
Yeah, I'm um, I'm, I'm an abstract guy, but I've seen a few uh, nice things about the new Creative Cloud Suite and, and Lightroom, which might get me tempted to try it out at least. Cool. There, well, I know Adobe are much better about doing betas than Apple ever have been and ever will be. So maybe you can try without spending too much money. Yeah, I can actually. And Kenny, if memory serves, you were a Lightroom guy. Yeah, I uh, use Lightroom and, and uh, Photoshop. I purchased the suite that was released for nine bucks a month uh, because I bought both programs anyway, and I find that uh, it's a better deal if you, particularly if you upgrade frequently. So that's the camp that I'm. In. Cool. I would also guess that there's quite a few of our listeners using iPhoto, uh, which I used to use many moons ago before I switched to Aperture, and. This is probably not the right panel to ask, but are there any other like Windows Land versions of like iPhoto that's like cheaper than Lightroom but does the same job? I've been getting that question a lot, but uh, I, I've never been able to find anything which is as uh, easy to use as uh, iPhoto on, on Windows side of things. Um, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that uh, I'm not entirely sure about this, but I'm going to be thinking about like photo mechanic and capture one i'm not sure if those are also available on windows photo um, mechanic i'm 99 sure is yeah well, actually lightroom is available available for windows as well so right right yes. but if you were talking cheaper uh another option could be uh photoshop elements which is available on both platforms yeah yeah, yeah. that of course only gives you half the equation because that's well, pixel no, I think it. I think it's got a. I think it's got an organizer built into it. Yeah, yeah. It comes with bridge. Ah, yeah. quaint old bridge. Yes. I know a colleague of mine who who swears by using uh, Bibble. I've never heard of it before, but he he says it's it's oh, awesome. After the Googles on that one, it's a cool sounding name, if nothing else. Yeah. I wonder if they uh, watch a lot of Blackadder. And you know about Photoshop Elements. I th- and I might be wrong about this, and someone might correct me, but I thought that Bridge originally started with um, Photoshop Elements and then was brought over to the uh, to Photoshop later on. Oh. I think so. I might be wrong, but I think so. Okay. Well, I know that someone my, can Google it and find out and correct me. In my mind, Bridge is kind of a, a sort of the precursor to Lightroom. So someone sort of thought, well, what if we like took the functionality of Bridge and put it straight into something where you can edit images? Yeah, and Bridge saw, serves some other purposes because of the the suite. I mean, you can view you know Illustrator files and videos and a whole bunch of other stuff, PDFs in it as well. So it's not just for photos. Okay. So. Whichever one of these apps you use, there's going to be some sort of concept of some sort of containers to pop your photos in and some sort of metadata to stick around your photos. So how, do, how much time do people on the panel spend organizing their photos? Is that a big part of your workflow? or a- It's a medium part of my workflow. Um, uh, for me, I'm using Lightroom and I'm importing with keywords, so I'm already sort of setting up for an organization when I'm bringing the pictures in. So even while they're just in the little thumbnail and you're going to bring them in, you've already dropped keywords on them? Yeah, yeah, some, so that I have a basis of, of some organization. Uh, and I, I I try to spend some time grouping them together, but I'm usually grouping them to get my pictures together when I'm doing um, searches for stock images. Like if someone is requiring them, I do searches and then I group them then. Uh, but I, I just I don't spend like a huge amount of time with my library. Uh, but I spend do you, a uh, amount when, of time. When you're doing that, uh, Antonio, do you also bring them into individual events, or you know, cluster them somehow into files? In Lightroom. Yeah, as you import them. How do you mean events in Lightroom? Well, like uh, collections. Yeah, exactly. Well, not necessarily a collection, but I, I, I open a folder, for example, uh, New York Photo Walk, July. 15th or something like that and I'll bring them in there so I have them as an event and then I also keyword them like you do so they're searchable on you know a number of ways I usually don't bring them in as a collection right away um, because I'm because of like I'm doing what you're doing like I'm bringing them with keywords I can always grab them later so like if I did one of my classes when I switched to manual classes and I know the date that will be the keyword I use when I import it and then if I need to get them I'll just type in the keyword and then create a collection later so, so um, there's like a giant inbox of many, 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 many photos? 
Yeah, yeah. And then and then I pare them down from that. But I usually don't my workflows I don't unless I'm working for a client or something like that and I need to set up a specific, you know, right. bunch of pictures. You know, pictures for myself because the the subject matter varies so much. And so uh you know, if I'm doing a photo walk with switch to manual on, you know, June twelfth, then that will be a main keyword and then that will go into a into a collection which then I can access uh what I want. But is that actually a, 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 what we call in, in Aperture, is that a, a, a smart uh, album or is that really a, an event like you will say uh, it was a shoot from uh, uh, July 22nd on, uh, somewhere in New York and it was for a certain client? Will that be the name of your project, your library? or, or? Uh, You know, I might not use a, you know, that long of a phrase. I might come up with a, uh, with a, with a uh, abbreviation for it. But yeah, it will it will be something based on that, and then I'll create a folder, like I have a switch to manual folder, so all our photo walks under switch to manual go into that folder, um, and I might just say like STM, you know PW six twelve, which would be the photo walk six twelve. So I try to keep it short because there's only so much screen real estate to put a to put the name on there. Well, I've I've heard that approach from a lot of different people, but I think. I use something quite different. Normally, I, I just name my, my in an aperture, they are called an event or a, a project. I just name my project after the shoot because everything else can be determined from the image itself, the date it was shot, the GPS location of the image. Uh, I, I don't really add that to the, the, the name of, of my, 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 my images, for example. Uh, yeah, I usually I don't name I don't name my images that. Um, I'm mm-hmm. saying like you my add collection. keywords or yeah. yeah, the keywords I don't want my images are named by the date that they're shot on. Um, um, just so I have a unique serial number for that. And that's you know people argue about how to name your files, and that could be a whole another. That's in bar. camera. That could be a whole another, huh? That's in camera, Antonio. That naming of images or is that unimportant? No, I when I'm importing my pictures in, I rename them according to the date, the camera, and the date. The, the type of camera I use and the date that it was photographed on, and it just creates a serial number. Oh, then a sequence of um, so one, two, three, four, five. Exactly, a sequence. And then, and then all my naming is part of keywording. I mean, all the information is keywords uh, and metadata. I know that some people like to name their files, like, you know, you know Joe's wedding, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't like doing that. That's just my preference. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. I just, I don't do that because all my information is in my metadata. And, and I yeah. use... You know, whether I'm using Aperture, which I've used, or I'm using Lightroom, I always manage all my pictures from the uh, application itself and never from the desktop or from Windows Explorer or one of the, uh, whatever. I'm always managing the pictures um, from within the application to avoid confusion. Um, Antonio, uh, speaking of metadata, I'm, I'm going to assume that uh, everyone here, or at least most of us, use uh, Shoot and Raw and store the uh, images in Raw. Are you a user of the DNG format? I I am exclusively using DNG format. I convert all my images to uh, all my raw images actually to DNG format, um, and then and then uh, what I actually do is when I'm importing my images, especially my raw data, Lightroom has the ability to create a second copy of that picture uh, in a separate location. So that's part of my backup scheme. So one copy goes into my main library and is a DNG, and a second copy goes into a backup library, which is in its original um, raw format, so that I have the option later on if I ever need to get back to my original Nikon format or my uh, original uh, Fuji raw format, I can go and find it in my backups. But I convert everything to DNG. Yeah, same here. I I like the fact that you can... uh incorporate the metadata into the file rather than having that sidecar file. I, I find that it's too easy to get them messed up. Sorry to jump in like that. No, that's no, okay. that's the whole point of this show is it's like we're having a chat in a pub, so yeah. jumping in. And, and Bart, I don't know if we're, we've skipped ahead or, of anything. No, 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 there's no you want. Okay. skipping ahead. That's, that's, okay. Um, I'm starting to feel like a terrible sort of nerd, really, because I think as a computer scientist in me feels that there needs to be structure. And oh. So I, I mean I don't go mad with it because I'm also the other part of the computer scientist within me believes that your photo library is a database and metadata is king. But even though I have completely committed to metadata, I well, I haven't really completely committed because I still want organization. So I have like a top level folder for each year and then an aperture event for each day I shoot labeled with reverse date. So 
anything I shot today would be what date is today? Fourteen zero six twenty, and then say canal or whatever I was doing, like just two or three words, and then every image would get tagged, and every image would get geotagged, and every image would get star rated, and I'm pretty ruthless about deleting stuff I don't like. I'm actually going in the same direction. I'm starting to, to uh, usually I, I kept the images which I, I didn't like, but by now I, I've started yeah, the, rejecting my, my images I don't really like and then deleting them afterwards. And I even have a complete hierarchy of, of, of uh, uh, keywords set up in Aperture so I can add a simpler keyword to it and, and it gets uh, the rest of the hierarchy because it inherits it from, from the hierarchy. I'm getting pretty... <laughs> Pretty, uh, uh, how do I say that? How uh, picky on, on my keywords. I don't really name my pictures uh, with something special, but uh, I do add a lot of keywords to it. I'm pretty religious about the keywordy thing and the hi- to, like the hierarchy of keywords in Aperture is something I just absolutely positively adore. Oh, so do I. Because it lets me like I as I say, I really do get nitpicky about it. So I do a lot of nature stuff. So I will have it, you know say nature then a sub-branch insect then a sub-branch butterfly then a sub-branch you know common blue with a latin name and so i just find blue and then i'll find common blue and get that whole hierarchy onto the picture i have a similar approach but not only for uh for uh uh, animals i also have a category floral and then i have all my my my, my flowers in there and i have a category uh, geography where i have uh, europe uh, america and within europe i have the countries and within the countries i have the uh, the provinces and within the provinces the cities uh, i have a similar approach for 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 beers and whiskies as well so i'm i'm pretty i'm using uh, the the keyword hierarchy a lot a lot in the aperture i don't know if if they they have that in in lightroom though yeah, yeah, they do. They have hierarchies of keywords, oh. and I, I, I do exactly the same. I'll have uh, Europe, uh, Ireland, Dublin all nested within each other. Yeah, yeah, so and, do I. And I think we should rename this the anal retentive hour. Yeah, but no, it's important, right? Because the day, you know, you're going to be chatting with someone. And you're going to say, "Did, uh, did you, you know, maybe, I don't know, something changed? You know, did you get a picture of that bridge before it was demolished?" And you say, "Well, when was it demolished? 2003." Where is it? It's in Leakslip. Okay, Ireland Leakslip Bridge. Yeah, I have it. Or oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I work as well. But I know a few years ago I, I did a, a little uh, video tutorial on on how I did it, and people were saying you're you're going way too far with with uh, the keyword hierarchy. But it suits me. It doesn't mean it has to suit someone else. But for me, is the easiest way to find to find my pictures back in my whole library, which contains thousands of pictures. You know, I have a question for, oh. for the two guys who use um, um, Aperture. Uh, Antonio and I use DNG format, which is an Adobe format for RAW. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two questions are, can, can you open those files within um, your program, and can you, in fact, read all the keywords that are embedded within a photo? Uh, I don't do it, but I'm 99% sure the answer is yes, yes. Okay. I, actually, I have, to, I have to answer that for you, Kenny. Just... Um, because I've actually had problems with DNG formats and Aperture the last time I used Aperture, and part of it depends on whether or not Apple is supporting that camera. So uh, one of the things I had was a I have a Panasonic Lumix LX3, and when I got it and I converted those files to DNG and I went to open them in Aperture, Aperture could not see them. For some reason, that camera at the time I got it was not being supported. Um, so even though uh, you took it out of its native RAW format into DNG, Aperture still is like, oh, that's for my camera I don't know about. So it, Right. So I'd have to be careful. And that's part of the – and I'm not going to make this an Aperture Lightroom fight. But part of my frustration with – you know, sometimes with both Adobe and Apple is that, you know, you buy, you buy a brand new camera and the, the software has to support it somehow. Hmm. And I've been finding generally – that Adobe supports the camera a lot faster than Apple does. Um, so, that you know, again, that could be a DNG format, that could be any kind of raw format, but um, the, there's a frustration I have with, with, with these programs sometimes. You, you buy the brand new camera and you got to wait until the software supports it. But, yeah, I was having a lot of problems with, with DNGs and Aperture 
Uh, generally, they read them, and then the one camera it didn't read them, and I was totally frustrated with that. that but I wanted to go. Want, it, it does definitely go back. pick up keywords, though, uh, because yeah, I will round trip images as sixteen bit tiffs, and when they come back in, those keywords are sucked straight back in. Hierarchy. Yeah, I guess metadata stored someplace separate than the image data um, in the DNG file. But I was, I was going to go back to the organization. What I was saying is that. Um, when GPS becomes ubiquitous in all of the cameras when you take a picture, one of the things I've been finding very useful, and both programs support this, is being able to find a picture based on where I took it. Yes. And Because sometimes I can't remember when I took it, but like, for instance, if I was shooting at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, I was like, I, I was shooting, and I was in shooting the, the goldfish pond. And I know where that is. And I would look in Lightroom's map and I can go and I can find where the Brooklyn Botanic, you know, Garden Goldfish Pond is. And I can go there and then I can find a collection of pictures that were shot there. So um, I'm beginning to use that GPS data a lot, especially with my iPhone pictures because that records the GPS uh, information automatically. Yeah. Um, but I, that's something I want in my, all my cameras. I want GPS data uh, at some point because I like to look at them, you know, look for them by location. It's one of the first bits of metadata I put in before I forget is I drop them onto the aperture map. Oh, I do the same thing. Although my camera does uh, does have a GPS sensor in it, I've uh, somehow stopped using it and, and, and I add the GPS locations afterwards because uh, using the GPS in my camera just uses too much of the, of the battery. Uh, I gave up on that. Interesting. I suppose it is talking to satellites and doing magic stuff. Um, so, I think we all do the keywordy thing. I think do we all, or at least most of us, do the geotaggy thing. So, what about yes. star ratings? Well, <laughs> <laughs> okay, that sounds uh, like you have something interesting it, to say. Well, no, it's just there's, there's uh, Lightroom gives you three different ways to you know deal with your pictures. You have star ratings, you have flags, um, and then you have colored. Uh, um, you can color label your pictures. Mm. Um, I use flags and, and, and star ratings uh, in, in a similar capacity. And I use color um, uh, labels differently. Uh, generally, I'm doing picks. I'm picking a picture I like. So I'm, that's a flag. So it's an on or off thing. Um, and then from those picks, I'm using star ratings. So in other words, I go through the bunch of pictures like, okay, this one's good. This one's good. This one's good. You know, pick, 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 flag, 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 flag. And then that becomes a collection. And then I'm using star ratings. And pretty much everything gets a three um, right. off the bat, you know, at least in my mind. And then I go down to two or one or four to five. And you know, five is something that is usually you know, that's re- reserved for a portfolio. Four is, hey, that's great. You know, that's worth you – know, that's a lot of – that's a good picture. Three is like – I'm not getting rid of it. And anything in the one and two mode, you know, one is usually going to get deleted. And two is like, uh, you know, maybe I'll keep it. Maybe I won't. Um, and then I use colored labels for, for dealing with the pictures in, in a different way, saying, like, what have I done with them? Like, green might be, these are for print. Red might be, these are for a website. These are, you know, yellow might be, you know, these are given to the client. Um, so that's, that's sort of a quick rundown of how I use that. Cool. So I, I would very much agree with you on the whole. By default, it's a three, and if it impresses me or unimpresses me, then its rating gets changed. Something I do quite a bit. So I keyword a lot of stuff, you know, quite diligently. But I have actually smart folders set up for stuff that I really care about. So mm-hmm. I'm sort of working on a project for butterflies over the last couple of years. So I have a smart folder for every species of butterfly, and the rule in the smart folder is every photo with the keyword for this butterfly species and a rating of four or more. Yeah. And then when someone says to me, oh, do you have a good picture of a common blue? Bang, there it is. Anything in that folder is good. I have a similar approach, but also with, uh, by, uh, with using faces in Aperture. And uh, it, it, uh, sadly, it has already helped uh, a few times when uh, somebody in, in our family passed away. Uh, they come to me and they ask me, do you have a nice picture of said person? And then I can just look at my smart album for uh, that face with a a rating of, of three or more, and we have a picture which uh, shows the person in question. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunately a sad duty of photographers within the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one people do appreciate when you pull together some nice Yes, uh, yes, yes, they do. 
Um, like, I, I'd say I give about five five stars in a year, and then the four stars are the ones that are good enough to go and flicker. The three stars are the ones that are worth keeping, and two stars are ones that get kept because well, it was something important, and even though the picture is rubbish, I'm going to keep it anyway. And the one stars are. Um, this is part of a bracket. I'm keeping it because I've made an HDR out of this and I want to keep it for the record in case I want to remake the HDR, but this picture has no value on its own. I actually start by rejecting uh, pictures. So I, when I import my images into Aperture, I will go through them and I will reject everything which isn't, well, which isn't in focus or which isn't uh, really what I wanted. Or, or, and from there, I will start uh, rating them, giving a, a one star for those which I might process. And then I will go through the one stars again and then give another star for those which I will process. And I will build up like that and I will end up with four stars or, or pro- probably those which I will share on, on social networks or on Flickr and all the rest just gets ignored. So do you use the reject feature with... Yes, yes. Sort of yes. like a soft delete. They're taken out of your view, but they're not really gone. So if you have a change well, of heart, I, you can get them back. I do delete them. Uh, if for me, rejects are, are really things which aren't in focus or which uh, for which I think it's it's really a bad image. Something I will never uh, edit or never change or something which can go to the bin. So I reject those. And uh, once I'm done, I will go through uh, my trash, my trash, uh, my rejected folder and check again and. Maybe uh, change a rating, give it a plus one to so that it uh, stays in my library. But everything, everything which gets rejected will get deleted at some point, just to get some some room in my uh, library. Yeah, I don't even soft delete them. I just they're just gone. Oh, I'm just ruthless. Goodbye. I re- reject, and then after a while, I, I will uh, delete everything uh, which is rejected and empty my trash. I'm just ruthless that way. <laughs> yeah, I tend I tend to shoot so many pictures that it's really hard for me to go through and reject pictures unless what Stefan was saying, I do the same thing. Like if they, I can see they're obviously, you know, I shot my shoes by accident or it's really out of focus, I can go through those and, and, and look at them and, and delete them. But going through each picture at 100% to make sure it's sharp and whatnot, I just – I don't – I'm not getting paid enough by myself to do that. <laughs> so – you know, I, I tend to keep the pictures. And then maybe someday I'll sit like on a rainy day if I'm sitting and I'm looking at a folder. I'm like, well, let me just go through these. Then I might do, do it. But uh, which which does mean I have a very large amount of pictures in my, my collection that I probably should be getting rid of. But I, I just, I don't know. I think I think it's cheaper to buy hard drives. <laughs> well, well, I think I, I owe Bart big time because uh, like Alice and Sharon said, I've learned how to Bart my less than ideal photos. And uh I just use kind of a flag or unflag when I'm importing photos and uh, flagging the ones that I think are worth keeping. And uh, I finally learned to get rid of the ones that are rubbish. That's the good news. The bad news is I haven't kept a photo for six months. <laughs> well, yeah, I think you should be careful to get not to get too emotionally attached to them because otherwise you'll just have 20 kabillion. And actually, I think maybe that's something where Lightroom is a little better than Aperture because I don't think Lightroom gets bogged down if you have like 5 million images, but Aperture I don't think likes when your library gets too huge. But uh, don't you separate uh, your libraries? I, in my case, I have, uh, I think, four or five libraries, something uh, for a, a specific block I, I take pictures for and something for family or personal pictures and something for uh, area of photography because that's more professional work. I I. I Keep them in separate libraries. Yeah, I, I do separate libraries because you're wrong, Bart. It does get bogged down after a while. When the library gets too big, uh, it, it takes a long time to back up, and it sometimes takes a long time to, to find images. So I create a new one every year. The problem I'm facing is that when I start a new library, I have to start a new set of keywords, and I have to figure out I'm sure there's a way where I can import the set from the previous library, but right now I don't know how to do it. But I, I tend to I, I like to have them all in the one library so they're all searchable. So I have my photos in one library and then stuff I do for other people in separate libraries. Yeah, I I do what you do, Bart. I mean, I just sent you guys my my screenshot of my uh, library, and I'm at two hundred and eighty three thousand right now. It's about three <laughs> times mine. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, it's going to grow a lot by tomorrow. I'm going to the oh. uh, I'm going to the mermaid parade in in, in Coney Island. Uh, what? In, the Mermaid Parade. There's a Mermaid Parade. Finn's Parade. They can't walk. Yeah. Well, wait till you <laughs> see the pictures. 
I can guarantee you I'm going to probably increase my collection by another two or 3,000 pictures tomorrow. Cool. Anyway, um, I, I do what you do, Bart. Like when I'm working on a job for a client, I will, I will separate you – know, like if I'm doing retouching or I'm doing something about their pictures, I will create a new library just for them and then I'll probably delete it when I'm done. I tend to keep all my pictures in one place because I like to have them all there so I can look at my pictures over the years and see like I've got projects that I do that I've been doing for, you know – 10 years on my cameras and I want to have all those pictures together uh, rather than having to load up separate libraries to look at them. So, so right now I actually did a – we just did a, a stock uh, stock search for some pictures I did in 2006 I think, 2007. And if I had separate libraries, I wouldn't necessarily been able to find those pictures in the speed, you know, in the time that required me to, to, to submit the pictures. So it, Lightroom – Bogs down a little bit. I've got my Lightroom library on a on an SSD card um, jammed into my uh, Mac Pro in its second uh, optical drive bay, and I've noticed that that helps speed it up. It's not not perfect, but if I, I just put the library in, not the images, the images are on mm-hmm. hard drives, mm-hmm. but I put oh. the library on the SSD card, and because part of what bogs down Lightroom is, it's got to generate thumbnails, and all those thumbnails require you know. If they're on a faster drive, then then the refresh in Lightroom is faster. So uh, I haven't figured out I haven't I don't have enough money to buy a SSD card to put all my images on, but an SSD card just for the library has made a made a big difference. Cool, that's that's a good tip. Um, we're about halfway through, so I'm going to. Well, I was going to say subtly transition, but it's not very subtle when I say that I'm going to do it. But uh, you know, so we we've talked a lot about how we organize them, but that's only part one of the process. Once they're in there we got to have some fun with them. Um, I get the impression there's no one here on this panel who feels precious about editing photos. Am I correct in that? How do you mean precious? As in, oh, no, you can't touch it. It's not real. Oh, for Pete's sake. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm, I, nobody yeah. here is a photojournalist, at least to the best of my knowledge, and I think they're the only ones that owe the integrity of a photo. I think we're trying to create things that are pleasing to the eye, right? Well, that's certainly yeah. my view, yeah. I'm sure there'd be photojournalists who've done the same thing. I mean, you know, when you got into the dark room with your black and white film, you had to dodge and burn to 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 bring out different parts of the picture. So, I mean, to me, that's that's as much manipulation as Photoshop is. I mean, not like adding third eyeballs to people, but you know. So yeah, no, that I, you know, we've been processing pictures and doing stuff forever. So and yeah, yeah, I'm even, all for it. I always think it's. One of my pet peeves is when people say, ooh, HDR, that's not real photography. And I say, well, that's funny because in the 1800s there were people using physical, like, shapeable shutters to put over half the image for half the exposure so that they could get the sky and the ground together. So yeah. that's HDR. Yeah. How's, how's what we do any different? Something I actually just want to nip on the head here. I think a lot of people think that you go into Photoshop to fix errors you made while taking the picture, and that's just wasting your time. I would, I would agree with that. I, I think that uh, I try to take out errors that uh, are a byproduct of photography, hmm. uh, d- dust or things of that nature or noise. Uh, I certainly try, don't try to change the essence of the picture. Well, you know, it's like, oh, well, you've you, you got a terrible foreground, so we'll copy and paste in a foreground from a different picture or we'll copy and paste in whatever. I, know, I, just, I just don't do that. Oh, it's not sharp. I'll try sharpen it. Yeah, good luck. Mm, I, I go back and forth on that, and it comes from a lot of you know different experiences, you know, commercial photography and everything like that. You know, you know, shooting the blonde, and you know, uh, and I need a green grass lawn, and there's some leaves that I didn't pull off or whatever. I mean, I have no qualms about going into Photoshop and doing a you know content aware fill and filling out those leaves that I didn't get when I went there and shot, you know, so That's kind I think of what I, I meant though because it's like if you have a photo that's horribly overexposed you're not going to try to rescue it, I would guess, or it's out of focus You know Bart, I, I make one exception I, I generally agree with you but the one thing that I get a lot of because we in the winter time around here you get a lot of, of grey skies and it's not pretty grey skies with you know, fluffiness uh, yeah, or you know, gray clouds. It's just white, blown out sky. And I've I've played around a lot with pasting in nice blue sky with puffy clouds, and I've had pretty good luck. So I do that, but that's about the extent of it. Okay, cool. For me, for me personally, if if I can't fix it in in Aperture or Lightroom, in the other case, it's not worth investing my time in it because 
I'm not familiar with Photoshop, so I don't even have Photoshop on my machine, but I could do it with uh, Pixelmator as well. But it, it just requires too much time to, to do the run trade to Pixelmator or Photoshop, fix it, get it back in Aperture. So I don't even care anymore. If I can't fix it with a simple plugin in Aperture, it's not uh, really worth my time. But then again, I don't do anything really professional with photography as, uh, as some of uh, the other panel members do. I mean, I was going to say that it really depends on the context of the picture mm-hmm, and sure. what you're trying to do. I mean, I shoot a lot of street photography now, uh, and the only processing I do is to do contrast and try to, you know, get the, get the viewer's eye to focus on my my subject. Um, and I, so I, you know, I'm processing to do that to to draw people's eye in where I want them to do it, or, you know, what I want them to see. Uh, aside from that, though, like I don't remove you know things from the sidewalk if there's garbage there or someone's you know peeking their head out of a window and I don't want that 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 I leave there. But again, it's the context of the picture is what I'm trying to yeah. what I'm trying to do. So, but manipulation, you know, I you know I have a friend of mine whose whole portfolio is based on creating pictures. Like he grabs elements and creates landscapes from them. Cool. And and he. Um, how did he say this? We interviewed him for a for a my my best friend Gene Mealy, and uh, we interviewed him for a little video that we did. And he he called himself we we didn't put this in the video, but he called himself a a, a fiction photographer. Fiction uh, photographer. Yeah, it's like you know, like um, you know, people who write historic novels. You know, you don't complain to the you know the writer that he's making up these stories. You know, uh, or a fiction writer. Uh, the same with a fiction photographer. It's like, what's the difference? He's making up these these landscapes based on real things. And how is that different than someone who writes fiction? And I thought that was a really good way to think about that. I mean, people, you know, look at a landscape and they want to believe that that's real. And it's like, well, what, you know, what are you basing that on? So anyway. I wish I was better with names. But there's a guy who was doing this stuff in film years and years ago. To the point where when Photoshop wanted someone to be their face, they tried to get him to switch to doing it at digital, and he did some posters and stuff for them, but he still kept doing it by by uh, the old-fashioned way. I wish I could remember his name, because his work is amazing. It's like, you know, a house sitting on a tree trunk and all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah. I can't. But uh, when do we start saying we we're uh, manipulating an image or we're enhancing an image? That's something... Uh, for example, I, I do sometimes some area photography, which is uh, made by with a, a GoPro camera, which is a, well, a, a very uh, fisheye type, type of lens. And to fix the horizon, we have to uh, do some some correction there. Is that manipulation or is that enhancing an image? For me, it's making it better. It's not really manipulating the image. It's the same image. It just we're just straightening the horizon, but I will never try to add uh, a few extra houses to the image or, or uh, change uh, the sky with uh, another sky with more clouds in it. I think there's a, a thin line between uh, enhancing an image and really manipulating the content of the image. Well, I guess you may want to do both, or you may want to do either, depending on your style of photography. Well, for me, uh, really adding clothes in it just requires too much too much work for me probably because i don't know how to do it uh, uh, fast enough but but for me it's just uh, too much uh, too much work it requires too much time so I, I don't even bother now we we now live in a world where we're lucky enough that we have these cool things called non-destructive editors True. where our photo stays completely intact and nothing we do breaks it and all that Aperture or Lightroom or iPhoto do is they save the list of changes and then every time it loads the picture it effectively reapplies those changes. And you can even brush in those changes, it just saves the mask separately. So we can now, we now have the luxury of editing without risking ruining our photo. Um, how much does everyone in, in here sort of, you know, what percentage of your photos get to stay in Aperture slash Lightroom and what percentage get pixel punished somewhere else pixel pixel punished <laughs> pixel punished yeah you know when you really like when, you, when you go out of the the non-destructive editor and you go into big photoshop or pixel or, or photomatics pro or yeah. something where you're really changing the pixels yeah i'm gonna say for me like i don't know 94 percent very accurate <laughs> stay in lightroom 
you know, I do any kind of adjustments and tweaking of the contrast and all that stuff. Uh, I, I stay the majority in Lightroom. I mean, maybe five or ten years ago, it might have been, you know, 75%. I was doing more manipulation. Uh, in fact, I was doing a lot more manipulation in earlier versions of Photoshop. I've, I've sort of migrated to doing less, uh, mainly because you can do a lot more in Lightroom now that you, that you had to use Photoshop for in the past because there was no Lightroom back then. Um, but I'm just liking my pictures as sh- kind of as straight as possible. And if I go to light, if I go to Photoshop, you know, really for some retouching that I can't do in Lightroom uh, or Aperture, um, that there are certain types of, uh, um, you know, cloning and healing that Lightroom is just not built for yet. You know, I'm sure that's going to change over time. Um, and then maybe some, you know, other kind of layer effects that I might use in Photoshop that I just that are not available in Lightroom. But um, and I, I don't do pictures like my friend Gene does, where I'm not not really putting two pictures together as often. So, what about others on the panel? Well, in my case, I would say 100% stays in Aperture, but. Uh, again, it's 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 uh, how do I say this? Uh, for example, I use PT lens to correct some barrel distortion or fisheye effects. Uh, that's not really non-destructive. Once it's done, well, you have a new image, uh, you have a new version of the image. You can go back to the previous state, but you can't really undo the the uh, lens correction without uh, undoing the rest of of the edits which have been applied afterwards. So, well, it really depends. I would say. Almost ninety five, ninety nine percent stays in aperture, and then the specific uh, pictures which are taken with a specific camera will get processed by a an, uh, a plugin in aperture. Yeah, in in my case, uh, I'm with Antonio. I think that each iteration of Lightroom has gotten more and more powerful, and as they add more features to it, you need uh, Photoshop less and less, and or plugins for that matter. Uh, and I find that in a, a similar ratio, 90% or more, uh, I never need anything more than Lightroom to edit them. And as long as you're editing them in Lightroom, you can always go back to the original by just hitting the reset button if you don't like what you've done with them in terms of editing. Mm-hmm. Now, if if I have to exit and go into uh, Photoshop and do something there or in another plugin set, I will save the edited image, but also in Lightroom as another file. But I always keep the original in Lightroom, so I can always just hit that reset button if I don't like what I did, and start all over again. Yeah, I, I use. I don't know if Lightroom has an equivalent of stacking in Aperture, where you can collapse multiple photos together. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So, yeah. so when I round trip a photo out of Aperture, so I would keep the vast majority somewhere between ninety and hundred percent. I'm not going to be exact. Whatever I do round trip out, it comes out as a 16-bit TIFF. It gets run through whatever it's going to get run through, and I bring it back in as an 8-bit TIFF so that it doesn't take up quite as many acres of file space. And then I bring that TIFF in and I put it and stack it with the original so that I can redo it if I want to and I haven't lost anything. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of non-destructive editing is so that you can go back to your original. And I think in both programs... Aperture and Lightroom let you make uh, what's called virtual copies, so that you can yeah, actually play around with with you know different iterations and different processing. And you could do what Kenny does, go back to reset, or you could just have like five different versions that you you know you're not sure of uh, what you want. The, the other nice thing about this is this is my beef, and I'm I'm going to soapbox it for a second here. But uh, yeah, I I, I liked. I like Aperture's interface so much better than Lightroom's. I think Apple knows how to make interfaces, but Apple has not got their act together to update Aperture enough, especially uh, like what Stefan is saying about he uses a separate program to correct uh, lens distortion. Yeah. And the nice thing about Lightroom is like it has that built in. Yeah, so, so it's non-destructive. Can, it's a non- that's not me. <laughs> so, ooh, someone had some extra beer. <laughs> extra beans, by the sense of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, the the um, the lens corrections are all built in, so you're actually affecting the 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 raw file, or you're uh, making a non-destructive lens correction. Yeah. Um, and what's fun about that is that you can actually, I I tend to actually sometimes change the distortion. I actually add more distortion to a picture sometimes, rather than trying to correct it. I add more fish eye or something like that. You know, said so what happens if I go the other direction with this? 
well, it's great. It's another non-destructive thing. I don't have to create another file. Yes. Uh, and you know, if if Apple got their act together and put that into Aperture, I might switch back. But um, I agree with. Well, yeah, that that is something that makes me cranky quite often, actually. Because what I, my workflow now is that the last thing I do is correct any distortions f- from the lens or from perspective, because that means going out to PT lens, running yeah. it through PT lens, and pulling it back in. So I'll get it right, and then I'll do that. Well, actually, I think it would, what's frustrating about that when you just described it to me, because I want to correct the lens first, because the first thing I want to get rid of is chromatic aberration, because I don't want to process my picture and add extra contrast and saturation and have those little magenta green lines get even worse. And then those are a little harder to get rid of at the end of the processing period, at least. That's what That's I've, a good point. I, I don't get them very often unless I'm shooting into the so actually for the only time I see those is when I run something through photomatics which seems to have a magic make all chromatic aberration worse function <laughs> I think it's a feature a feature <laughs> by the way I, I've managed to locate that name that was nagging me earlier the, the photographer I was talking about was Jerry Yulesman and if you, you know I was going to say that I was going to say his name I wasn't sure I should have I should have spoke up yeah no if yeah. you stick Yulesman into Google image search or whatever you will be amazed at his work and that's he he did some stuff in Photoshop because they wanted someone famous to play with Photoshop, but he's he said afterwards that he still prefers to do it the old-fashioned way. So it, when you look at his work, that's not even done with a computer. That's done in a darkroom, like merging multiple uh, negatives together. It's just magical the work he does, or did I presume? I didn't check if he's, what's his date, sir. Oh no, there's only a born he's date. A, no, he's been around for a while. I might have met him like. A dozen years ago, or something—I can't remember. But yeah. yeah, he was—he was doing all that Photoshop stuff before Photoshop. Yeah. Um. Okay, so I suppose, so you have editing for the point of view of enhancing what you have, which in my brain I sort of think of as like what you would do in the dark room in the olden days. Only now we're doing it digitally because we don't have to get chemicals and smell of developer and stuff. But there is also editing to make stuff that wasn't, you know, to make it not more real, but to make it more like it feels instead of more real. I'm not explaining that very well. You know, you know, you may decide that you want to amplify the blues in the shot. It wasn't really like that, but you feel it feels better. So do, do, do people on the panel, how do you feel about the sort of adding more than there was? Or I don't know how. Woohoo, I'm all for it. Add, okay. add. No, Yes. You 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 hit the nail on the head because you said feel. Aha. Okay. Mm-hmm. You said feel, and this goes back to like you know if I was just going to take a picture and display the raw, even the raw doesn't have the right. It doesn't have a it doesn't have a feeling to it. Hmm. The whole idea of 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 to me picture processing is to you know people say well the sky wasn't really that color. It's like it doesn't have to be. That literal. It's like this is what it felt like to me. The sky felt like it was on fire, so it was orange. Like you know, it made an impression. And I want to get that. You know, that's what we're trying to do. Is we're trying to we're trying to share our expression of feelings with our photographs. Sometimes it's yeah. not all just you know recording. We're trying. You know, we're trying to create something and trying to share that with people. And this, you know, the HDR thing. Um, you know, the 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 argument that there's too much or is too little. It's like part of me is the saying, like you know, when it's just right, that's what the photographer was feeling. He was seeing where she was seeing this stuff, and wants to share it with you. It's not just about technique, you know. So I'm all about the feeling, too. You know, that's what I do with my with my uh, my street photography. I was saying before, it's like I want you to, you know. I want you to see the person that I'm taking a picture of. If I just displayed it the way I shot it, you wouldn't. It wouldn't be the vision I have, but I'm, you know, vignetting a little bit and making the center a little brighter, you know, and doing a little contrasting because that's what I see. This is New York. It's gritty. It's something. You feel that in my picture. So, Excellent. That's exactly how I feel about it. And I think if you, if you want to make me cranky, comment on one of my photos. Mm, I think you edited that. I just go, yeah, whatever. Get lost. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I no longer you value say, your you opinion. Could, Good day. Yeah, you could say, yeah, you confuse me with someone who actually cares about your opinion. Yeah. Um, something I actually love to do to sort of capture a feel of a place is to really jam up the texture in something by either tone mapping it, which is a pretty good way to get the texture out, or by using um, the definition slider too much by, you know, realistic definitions. Or, you know, picking one color over another. That kind of thing. 
Yeah, I did. I did some of the same thing when I was working for the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, and I, I processed a bunch of the pictures, and I added a bit more texture, as a word, midtone contrast adjustment mm. than you know reality. But again, my experience of that place was like you know it was like oh it's so beautiful and the colors are so beautiful and this is so beautiful and that's what like yeah but it's like what about the textures of the place? How is it you know look at these textures? It's a garden and it's got all this texture and how am I going to show that? So enhanced. Actually, there probably one of the biggest decisions when you're editing your photo is what do you do with the color, mm-hmm. because that's probably one of the most subjective things. Uh, you can either get rid of it all, like you do in your street photography. You just take it out of the equation, and instead you're focusing, uh, well, effectively on textures, really, isn't it, in a monochrome shot? And shapes and form. Yeah, and yes, because obviously you don't get distracted by the fact that that was red and that was blue and that was green and that was orange. It's just the shapes. Or you can. You know, tweak the colors. I mean, something I noticed when I started using a white card or a gray card was that what's technically scientifically right is usually not what you want. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'll use it as a starting point because, okay, that's at least I don't have a pink cast or something I don't like. But I'll usually warm it or cool it depending on the mood of the photo I want. So if it's in the evening, I'll probably warm it quite a bit. If I'm trying to get a sort of a starker feel, I'll, I'll cool it quite a bit. But I almost never leave it at, you know, technically, scientifically correct. That's just boring. Um, folks, we are at 55 minutes. Does anyone have any final thoughts on this and uh, any, anything you'd like to wrap up with? Well, I was just curious about uh, going online with this stuff after you've edited it. Uh, or is that going? That, you're jumping ahead to part 404. Ah, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so that, yeah, that is so basically the, the the fourth and final stage of the life cycle of a photograph, which we'll dedicate a show to probably two months from now, is the the giving it. You know, if you're going to get philosophical about it, so there are people who will say that a photograph isn't a photograph until it has an audience. But that I'll might be too deep. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. You know, um, I I guess I'd like to talk a little bit quickly about like you know we we have Aperture Lightroom and whatever other programs are out there that do these things um and to me you know I I don't think I would be able to um manage the my photography without a program like that I mean I don't know what I was doing before Lightroom or Aperture uh, I certainly wasn't shooting as many pictures, but like organizing them, you know, because I shoot a lot more pictures, having all the processing in one place um, to me is is inc- incredibly important. Um, and I, I, I'm most appreciative of this, of, you know, these companies who came out with this software. And I kind of wish there was a little bit more to choose from than just than the two big ones. And, and uh, poor Windows users have a choice of one. Yeah, I mean, that was part of the reason why I hedged my bet on on Lightroom because if I ever had to, you know, go to another system, I, I have the same program there, and I don't have to switch. Oh, you know, part of what is yeah, what I was going to get at sort of sideways is a Friday afternoon. It was a long day today. <laughs> it's um, it's eleven o'clock at night on a Friday. Here. Yeah, I'm a little brain fried too. Yeah, um, you know, when you get at least to the point that I'm at, I mean, I'm going to invest a lot of time in one of these applications, um, and so. You know, it becomes very hard to switch. You know, everyone says, oh, you use Lightroom. Oh, why don't you get Aperture? Because, you know, when Aperture is, why don't you get Lightroom? You know, those switches, you know, have a really good reason for switching because you're going to invest a lot of time and energy in these applications. You're going to keyword, you're going to process, you're going to store them someplace. You're going you're gonna to learn the application itself. Um, so, you know, really consider that when you're going to get involved with one of these applications. Think, I don't know if Aperture has a, does it have a trial? Version it used yes, to. Yes. It used to, or it, it definitely used to, but I don't. Now that it's gone App Store, I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, I don't know. Have a down. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's another trial version of of Lightroom. You know, you can play with it for thirty days and get a feel for it. Uh, yeah, I just don't think you can with Aperture. And they, and again, because Apple's not updating it as frequently, meaning. You know, people are going to say, well, you, you know, people are using it now and it's fine. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but it, it does seem like a, you know, a lost stepchild in Apple's scheme of things. Well, when you go to apple.com forward slash country code forward slash aperture forward slash trial, it says Aperture 3 is available on the Mac App Store. The trial version is no longer available. Yeah. Well, there you go. So you can't try it out. Find a friend who can do it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. Yeah. 
part or, of Or, you know, you can watch the videos or you can, you know, get tutorials and just you can look over someone's shoulder and see what it's like to invest in, in these applications. Um, but you are going to invest time in it. If you're going to invest time in your photo library, um, you know, invest time in how you're going to uh, organize and process the pictures. Um, and I got to just say, sorry, last yeah. thing. I mean, backup. Yeah. Backups. So the one thing we talked about before, multiple backups. These are your, you know, for some people, this is going to be their income. You know, Bart, I'm sure you can make sales. Back up those pictures. Back them up when you get them off the card. Yes. Back them up. Back up your library, you know. Just back up. You know, hard drives are cheap, you know. Yeah, and there's the old three, two. Well, there's two adages I always remember. If it doesn't exist in three places, it doesn't exist. And if you're doing backups, you need a three, two, one strategy. Three copies, two media, one offsite. I figured I'd just add that in. Too. No, definitely. That's a very, 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 very important point. You kids, you better back up. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's vital, though. I mean, even if you're not doing it for a living, if you're doing it for a living, it's like vital, 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 vital. But even if you're just doing it for fun, the amount of hours of your, your life and your creativity that you have poured into these ones and zeros is, well, and in my case, it's certainly it's immense. And I would be so distraught if, if, if my photos went away and my babies. Yeah. Um, actually, you, you mentioned that we're lucky to have these sort of places where it's all together, the organizing and the editing. And I just want to echo that because that is so true. If you go into Aperture or Lightroom, you put them into full screen and you're just you're just immersed in your photos. You're not on a computer managing files. You are working with images. And that's a lovely luxury that we have now that we wouldn't have had 10, 20 years ago. I agree. I would like to to add something to that. So, uh, just uh, so uh, don't be afraid to revisit your pictures two years after they were taken. Because uh, in my case, I didn't need spend a lot of time uh, getting my organization correct in Aperture, and by now I'm starting to revisit some pictures I took, like for example, two years ago. And uh, by now I have my, my my structure set up correctly, so I don't spend a lot of time importing my images. And I have uh, a little bit uh, more time to to uh, enhance or edit my pictures. And I've noticed that uh, with the things I've learned in those two years, I'm getting uh, better results from the images I shot even two years ago. I just improve a little bit, uh, enhance a few colors, and I'm getting a lot richer images. So don't be afraid to revisit the pictures you took two years ago and re-edit them. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that, actually. That's it's. Especially if you're doing something like HDR. I remember I revisited some of my early HDRs and it, I was kind of stunned that the same input could give such different output. Especially if you change your program that you use to do HDR. Yes. Ah, also. Yeah. I used to be in the camp where um, uh, if it didn't come, uh, if the image wasn't good enough straight from the camera, it wasn't worth investing my time uh, fixing it. But by now I've learned uh, quite a few things and, and learned how to uh, use Aperture to my own advantages. And I'm getting a lot of better results with yeah, even images shot two years ago. If I re-edit them and add a few more, uh, a little bit more punch to the colors, it, it gives a lot better results than I used to get uh, uh, two years ago. And two years ago I was happy with those results. But by now, if I visit, visit my images, I think, why didn't I fix it back then? You just, I mean, like, Antonio got on a soapbox earlier, so I'm going to jump up on one for a moment now. <laughs> it's what, I, know, I know what you're going to say, I think. You possibly do. So, right, our digital cameras, they contain a little computer, which is doing a computer's best guess at how it should render the picture. And the thing I have learned as a full-time professional computer scientist is that computers are spectacularly stupid. Right? They do not do the best job at anything creative. Us humans are much better. So when you take that raw image, you have all of the original data, and you then will do a better job at rendering that same data than any silly computer in your camera ever could. And so it's not that you're cheating in some way. What you do, it's, it's the equivalent of dropping your film into one-hour photo and having a machine do it, or developing them in a darkroom. And t to me, Aperture is no different to a digital darkroom. You said part of what I was going to say. Okay, and, what's the other part? Uh, well, I was going to make the big. I was going to make the point that this is why I like to say shoot raw um, when you can, mm. because over the years, like I've got raw pictures from one of my early digital cameras, my Nikon D 
2X, I think it is, 12 megabyte, great camera. But um, the processing back then was the processing back then. I'm finding that I can revisit those files now with the newer software. And over the years, the software to decode or process the raw files has gotten better. So I can go back and reprocess older pictures that I, I did as good as a job as I could back then with the software that was available back then. But now, you know, eight years later, the software to decode those raw files has gotten better. And I can actually eke out a little bit more uh, quality from those files. So if it was a JPEG that I shot back then, I probably couldn't do much to them. But the fact that I shot raw back then does mean I can um, uh, revisit those files today. And if I want to do better processing, I have those options. So to me, that's a big plus for for shooting raw files is this idea that in the future, you know, um, there's a possibility that I can revisit them and get better results. Uh, guys, I know we're a little close to running over, but I do have a question that, that tags on to that thought, Antonio. Uh, my question for you is, as a professional, is there any reason why anyone should ever shoot JPEG if shooting RAW is an option? Um, well, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing because I'm such a big guy of like, shoot RAW, shoot RAW, forget JPEGs. And since I'm looking at my my new love of my life, my Fuji X20 camera that's sitting right next to me. Uh, Congratulations. Shooting, yes, I've been shooting JPEGs with that. I mean, RAW and JPEGs. And I've been using the JPEGs as my processing instead of the RAWs. And the RAWs have been a backup. So whereas one time I might have said, what's the point of shooting JPEGs? Because you're going to shoot RAW and then you can process them. Um, I I find that there are times when I can shoot JPEGs and there's a, there's a necessity for it. Like if I'm doing an event and i set the camera to process the jpegs in a way that i find pleasing and and what can happen is when the event is done at least i've got a bunch of pictures that i can immediately send off to somebody and not have to process them so the jpegs can have a a, a use uh in in that respect i uh, and then i might reprocess the pictures uh reprocess the raw files for better quality but if i need to get something out fast you know, I will shoot JPEG and RAW. I will never just shoot JPEG. I mean, of course, our cell phones, that's all they shoot. So that's another thing. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a choice in that. But if I'm shooting uh, JPEGs, I'm shooting them with RAW files as backups. But these, again, these days with my, my street shooting, with my X20, I've been shooting JPEG and RAW. The JPEGs have been processed to black and white, and I actually take them and process them on my iPad. Um, and they stay JPEG from beginning to end. So uh, it's just because I like the way the JPEGs come out of the X20. And so that's, that's sort of changed my outlook on stuff. But, but the RAWs are there. The RAWs are backups, and they go into Lightroom, and you know, they get numbered and keyworded just like any other pictures. So does that answer? Your yes, it does. Yeah, very cool. Thanks. Anyone else have any, any thoughts they want to share before we wrap it up? Mm, not really. Cool. <laughs> No, I, but I thought we were getting beers or beers or Irish whiskey. <laughs> if I could send beers over TCP, <laughs> I would. There's gonna be a. We're gonna have to have like a. Uh, not, you know, like you have 3D printers. We're gonna have to have like a a whiskey printer, and then like, you could like yeah, you could send me a whiskey file and I'll download it. <laughs> I should check my old local brewery because we have a brewery here in the village. Maybe I should check if if they can send you some beers over. Yes, that would be nice. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Friday night. I mean, you know, we should have some beverages. I'm, I'm just going to end with something that's utterly, totally not my not my catchphrase, but I love it to bits. Pixels are made to be punished, and I think that's Frederick Van Johnson says that. <laughs> yeah, Frederick said that. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. So you know, have fun, and especially now that we have the joy of non-destructive editing. So what if you make a complete mess of it? Start over. Have another go. Mm-hmm. Try it in monochrome. Try it contrasting. Try it less contrast. Just try, 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 try. It's great fun. I guess that's a happy note to end on. Um, before I introduce the panel, just a quick um, reminder again: if you have any questions, you can submit them over at letstalk.ie forward slash photo queue. And if you would like to support the shows, there are two giant big blue buttons on the website for the show at letstalk.ie, where you can either do a once-off donation via PayPal or a regular support via Patreon. The way that works is. You pledge X amount per episode. If I put out episodes, then you pay that much money at the end of the month. And if not, you don't. 
Um, and basically, you know, the idea with Patreon is that it's, you know, small amounts, like, you know, 50 cent, a dollar, a euro, that, that sort of amount. And then assuming the show keeps going, money keeps coming in and then bills get paid and then all is well. That, that's the basic theory. And also a big thank you to those who have pressed those support buttons. Your help is much appreciated. And um, we're an awful lot closer to breaking even than we used to be. So uh, thank you. So uh, thank you very much to the panel. Um, this show wouldn't work without you guys, so I really appreciate you guys giving your time. Um, if we go out in reverse order, Antonio, do you want to remind people where they can find you on the internet? You can find me in many places. First, you could find me at uh, switchtomanual.com. That's our website where we teach people to switch their cameras to the manual. Um, my partner, Tom, was not able to make it tonight, but uh, I want to say shout out to him. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at switch, the numeral two manual. Uh, also, you can look at my website, since I haven't mentioned that in a while, at am, amrosario.com. And I'm on Twitter at amrosario. And that's where you can see me posting all my street pictures of New York. Cool. And, and thanks. Thanks, Bart, for having me tonight. Always a pleasure. Stefan, actually, for you, it's after midnight. Jesus. Thank you. Double thank you. Just after midnight. Just, well, you can find me on, on Twitter and Facebook as Stefan Lesage, which is S-T-E-F-A-N-L-E-S-A-G-E. And if you want to find out about our uh, Dutch technology podcast, then you can tune in at tech45.eu. For European Union. Yeah. Excellent. And Kenny? Yeah, I'm on uh, the Twitters and Google+, Plus, both uh, Kenneth Lee NJ, like New Jersey. And if you want to look at some of my pictures, they're on Flickr at uh, KennyL200. Seven. Don't ask why. Thanks for having me, Bart. Had a lot of fun. Oh, always a pleasure, Kenny. Um, I've been your host, Bart Bouchard. You can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy snapping. Listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi, I'm Ryan Van Leer. And I'm Matt York. We're from the Four Pigs the Bell Tools podcast. What is Four Pigs the Bell Tools, you might ask? We're a group of gamers who, simply put, have a passion for gaming. What sets us apart is our unbiased coverage of all the major platforms. That is Xbox One, PlayStation 4, Wii U, 3DS, and PlayStation Vita. Sometimes even PC or mobile games, too. We also love to reminisce about older games and systems from yesteryear. Four Pigs the Bell Tolls provides short but sweet reviews, the hottest gaming news, and in-depth gaming discussions. So if you love video games or would just like a fresh perspective of the industry, be sure to give us a listen and check out our YouTube page. We're part of the Stoplight Network of Podcasts.